be seated and open your Bibles to the psalm we read. Basically, I'm just uh, speaking on verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Just that uh, line uh, there. We were reminded this morning by Brother Carl of the, the wonderful privilege of being Christians, being joined to the Lord Jesus Christ, being united uh, to him. It is indeed a wonderful blessing and privilege. But there's another blessing and privilege that is ours, to be part of the church. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ um, purchased that church with his own blood. He's building that church. And uh, we don't see a tremendous amount of growth here, but you read reports of different parts of the world. The Lord is working, building his church. The kingdom of God is being uh, extended. How wonderful that is, and how wonderful to be a part of that. We're a local church, but in a sense part of the uh, complete body of Christ that comprises uh, all believers in, in all ages. But uh, local church, Christ is building that. What a blessing, what a privilege. Now you might think being a part of that, we'd be in a, a trouble-free environment. Uh, but it's not so, is it? The Lord has seen fit uh, to allow the church to be beset with trouble. You read church history, you see it. You see the persecution the church has uh, experienced, and you can see that in the, the book of Acts, uh, uh, the opposition, uh, in some cases the death uh, of God's servants through uh, persecuting uh, parties. But there are even more dangerous uh, problems the church faces, and that's from within. Now, there's division. Some division is warranted. We believe that division, for example, of Reformation was certainly warranted. Uh, Luther and others saw the great truth of justification by faith, saw the Church of Rome was teaching the very uh, opposite, and uh, the preaching of the Word brought about a split, uh, and that was justified. Other splits have not been justified. Uh, there was one split amongst the exclusive brethren over whether or not believers would recognize each other in heaven. There have been splits over scripture versions. Two churches in Toronto are pretty well the same in their outlook and background. Uh, and they said, well, we should, shouldn't be two separate uh, churches. We should come together. Uh, but they, one held to the King James Version and the other to a um, more modern version, and so the split uh, was, uh, the, the unity was uh, prevented uh, by that. But then there's error that comes into the church. Um, some errors, of course, very plain when some people teach uh, that what the Bible says is false. Uh, and that's not too difficult to cope with. The people just plain deny the scriptures, and some might be carried away. Uh, by that. But there are more dangerous errors when people quote the scriptures. I mean, many of the cults quote the scriptures. They say they believe the Bible. Well, they have their own books as well uh, that they uh, also believe. Uh, but so often error comes in, uh, even though they quote scripture, they quote one side of a particular truth. Uh, not all truth is presented in every verse of Scripture. 
Uh, and so sometimes you just focus on one particular verse uh, and people see nothing else, they can get the wrong impression. I remember hearing Martin Lloyd-Jones once saying, if you've preached justification by faith and no one has misunderstood you, you haven't preached it faithfully. In other words, if you stress the importance of salvation without works, uh, salvation simply by faith, uh, you can be misunderstood. Uh, because people will say, well, it's not important to live uh, holy lives. So uh, we realize that we need to read all of Scripture to get a balanced and open view. Now, all this really is an uh, introduction to uh, this verse or this phrase here, uh, trust in the Lord and do uh, good. It's a verse that is beautifully balanced and an excellent summary of the Christian faith. Uh, simple in its statement, profound in its teaching. Two simple points that need to be balanced. Trust in the Lord and do good. If you like, it's faith and works. This is nothing new, uh, but it's good to be reminded of these things. So we're going to look at those two things. Uh, first of all, faith. Uh, and I've entitled this, uh, The Foundation of the Christian Life. Now we speak sometimes of different world faiths. We speak of the, the Muslim faith, the Jewish faith, the Buddhist faith uh, there, as well as the Christian faith. Uh, but the word faith applies to Christianity in a way it doesn't apply to others. Because faith is at the very heart of Christianity. An important question we can ask, and it was asked by actually Bildad in uh, Job 25.4. How can man be right with God? How can a man, a woman, young person be in a right relationship with God. Ask Muslims what they think about that. Well, you've got to obey the Quran, you've got to follow its precepts there, you've got to be obedient there, and uh, hopefully uh, God will accept you eventually into the uh, afterlife. You can ask a, a Buddhist that question. Well, you've got to follow the principle of the Buddhist faith and you might uh, eventually uh, uh, attain to a... a our state of, uh, of glory, ask Hindus and so on, various things, but they'll always summarize it with, in a matter of works, things that we have to do. But we would say the answer is found in many scriptures. And one that is particularly helpful is Habakkuk 2.4, which simply says, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. And that verse was considered so important by the New Testament writers that three times uh, that is quoted in the New Testament. Paul quotes it twice uh, in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and the writer of the Hebrews quotes it also in Hebrews 10.38. So faith is at the heart of the Christian religion. And I'm going to bring this out in two points. By faith, we enter into a right relationship with God. Now, by nature, we do have a relationship with God, but it's not a good one. Uh, it's not a happy one. Uh, we are sinners. 
And God does not ignore our sin. He notes it. Uh, he records it. He holds it against us. And Ezekiel says, chapter 18, verse 20, same similar verse elsewhere in Ezekiel, the soul who sins shall die. Of course, everyone dies. But this refers to spiritual death, which is separation from God. And that's just not a matter of sort of the opposite of being close to God, somehow we're a bit of a distance uh, from God. Uh, no, this means being cut off from God. It means experiencing His wrath and judgment. It means an eternity in hell. But by faith, we can be saved from that. Now, it's not spelled out here, and again, just brings out this point that uh, every doctrine is not, as it were, completely set forth in every reference that's relevant, uh, but uh, being saved by faith uh, really uh, involves the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It involves the cross. Uh, Jesus bore our sins, took our punishment, and died as our substitute. And that act alone doesn't finalize our salvation. It guarantees it. It doesn't finalize it. We must believe. We must have faith. We must trust in the Lord. And when we believe, our sins are forgiven. We're justified. We're reckoned righteous in God's sight. So coming back to a question in Job, uh, how can we be right with God? Well, it's by faith. And that faith makes us right in God's sight in the sense that he justifies us. He declares us righteous. Now that faith is not just intellectual. Now it involves the mind. We have to be careful of a mindless Christianity. Some people just get carried away emotionally and they're not really sure what happened to them in these uh, special meetings. Uh, but it does involve the mind. We need to uh, read the scriptures, need to understand the word, need to understand what Jesus did through his death upon the cross, the, the way of salvation that is planned out there. Uh, we need to understand that. So we do need to use our, our heads, uh, our minds. But also it involves the, the emotions. Uh, we, we love the Lord. We come to understand what he's done. And it's not just a matter of a, a cold believing in what he's done. Uh, but it draws out our heart toward him. We love the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done. So our, our faith involves the heart. And we believe in the heart. Uh, those two things are important. Uh, I used to have a tract uh, which said, Missing heaven by 18 inches. How can you miss heaven by 18 inches? Well, the distance between the head and the heart. Uh, you can believe in the head, uh, all the truths about Christianity, but they need to come from the heart too, that which joins us to the Lord Jesus Christ, that love which brings us close to him. But it also involves the will, that determination to yield our lives to him. Uh, Paul speaks of the obedience of faith. I don't remember a great deal about my own conversion, which is pretty well 70 years ago, but uh, looking recently through one of my diaries of that period, 
I'd written down there, uh, committed my life to the Lord. I yielded everything to him. And that's essentially what it is, the, the will, isn't it? We, we yield our lives to Christ. So faith involves uh, giving ourselves to the Savior, yielding our lives uh, to him. So faith involves uh, the mind, the emotions, and the will. And so we're saved by faith. So simple, isn't it? Why do so many bulk at this? Why do so many people find it difficult to accept salvation by faith? Well, they say, well, it's too easy uh, just to believe something. It is too easy. That's always been the Church of Rome's uh, response to the Reformation. Well, you people just believe a few things and live as you want and it uh, makes it uh, so easy. Uh, and they would say, well, we, we need to please God. We need to satisfy his requirements. And what they're really saying is uh, we have to earn salvation by our good deeds. That seems natural, doesn't it? That's what we want to do. We can do these things. We can keep God's commandments. We can uh, live the lives that please him. But the scripture is very clear. Paul says essentially the same in Romans and Galatians. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified before him. And then Paul has an amazing statement in Galatians 2.21. He says, if righteousness comes by the law, that is by our keeping of commandments, Christ died for nothing. Christ died in vain. In other words, if we could work out our own salvation and get to heaven by good works, Christ wasted his time in going to the cross. Uh, what, a, what a statement when you think about that. Uh, Jesus didn't waste his time, did he? For the Son of God to come into this world, uh, surely that was the only way in which anyone could be saved. So Jesus did not die uh, for nothing. So we are saved. We're redeemed. We're forgiven by faith. But then secondly, under faith, by faith we continue in the Christian life. Faith doesn't end at conversion. That's just the beginning of a life of faith. Paul says in Galatians 2, 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You began by faith, you continue by faith. Faith is not just something that brings us to conversion and then we just push that to one side and carry on by our own works. And one of the great dangers of the Christian life is to begin by faith and then try to continue doing our own thing. Well, faith has brought us into God's kingdom. We're now children of God. We're Christians. Uh, well, let's uh, do the best we can uh, from now on. Paul deals with this in, in Galatians 3, 1 to 6. And Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly proclaimed as, portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now he's uh, bringing uh, the work of the Spirit there in, in a sense, in a, term, in a place of, of believing. Uh, but he's saying... 
Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by faith? Well, of course, they'd say by faith. And then he says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit or by faith? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? How foolish to imagine that we can uh, somehow uh, begin our Christian life by faith, we come to a right relationship with the Lord by believing, and then we carry on uh, in the flesh by our own uh, efforts. Uh, no, that's impossible, says the Apostle Paul. So every day we live by faith. Now what does that mean? You say, well, my work day begins uh, when I get into the car and I drive off to work. Uh, where does faith come in there? Uh, do you have to uh, pray uh, whether you should go to work or not? Uh, well, of course not. We have certain duties. Uh, there are certain God-given principles in the Scripture which we believe, we accept by faith, and we carry them out. It's like going to church, if you like. We don't need to pray. Do we go to church on Sunday? Uh, we may pray that we get a blessing. Pray that it would be a spirit of worship. Pray for the preacher that he'd know the anointing of the Spirit of God. And the same with going to work. Uh, you don't need to pray whether you should go to work. Uh, you pray that the Lord would give you grace to do a good day's, uh, good day's work. Uh, do it diligently. Perhaps opportunities to witness uh, to others. Uh, but there are God-given principles and I think that's so important you see so many Christians and they sort of make their decisions uh, as what they feel at the the moment we need to have these God-given principles we always do this we always tell the truth Uh, if uh, we're asked something we tell the truth even though it might be costly might be painful we live by principle but these are God-given principles and we believe them, believe they're right. So in that sense, we live by faith uh, every day. Faith should be deeply ingrained in us. We know that God will never lead us contrary to those principles set out into the wor- in, in the Word. So we live by faith. We walk by faith. We trust in Him for salvation. And we continue to walk in faith. And then the second main point I've entitled The Fulfillment of the Christian Life. Foundation of the Christian Life, faith. The fulfillment of the Christian life is doing good. If you like works, being obedient to the Lord. Christian life is a life of faith, but it's not only a life of faith. It involves obedience to God. Involves good works, those things that are pleasing to our God. And that balance is so important. Cromwell got it right. He used to say to his men, trust in God and keep your powder dry. That is gunpowder. They didn't have factory produced bullets in those days. They had gunpowder. They put in the gun there and the ball after it, push it down. And then, of course, when the trigger was pulled, there was ignition. The ball would shoot out, but if you had damp gunpowder, it wouldn't fire. And so Cromwell says, trust in God, but keep your powder dry. In other words, trust in the Lord, but do those things that are set forth in the Word of God. 
sometimes common sense, like keeping your powder dry, uh, but in most cases that which is set forth in the Word of God. We need to do good. And what does it mean to do good? You remember the rich young ruler? Came to the Lord, said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you just take that alone, you might get the wrong impression there. It sounds as if the Lord is uh, teaching salvation by works. He said, you know the commandments? And he lists off several of them. Uh, of course, there's a good reason for that. Uh, he was self-righteous. He needed to be convicted of his sin, especially of breaking the Tenth Commandment, covetousness. And that's why the Lord brings home the commandments. Uh, but you can't do good without keeping God's commandments. Ecclesiastes 12.13, another th thing by itself might seem unbalanced. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Again, we know it doesn't teach salvation by works. Uh, there at the end of Ecclesiastes 12.13, uh, but it, uh, that's what uh, is doing good. Uh, keeping God's commandments, being obedient to what he has laid down in his word. Why is it important to do good? Or well, some say, uh, do good to earn God's favor and get to heaven, but we've already seen. By the deeds of the law, no one should be justified in his sight. And if it's possible, be justified by the, by the law, then Christ died for nothing. So our doing good is not before our justification, but after. There's another amazing statement in Romans 4 when it says he justifies the ungodly. That's astonishing, isn't it? He's an ungodly man uh, living in all kinds of wickedness. He hears the gospel. Uh, he believes. He's saved. Uh, but at that moment, he's still ungodly. He hasn't begun that life of sanctification. God justifies the ungodly and from then on we begin to do good, to be obedient to the Lord. We don't live good lives to gain a place in heaven but because we have a place in heaven. So firstly then under this heading we do good in gratitude for God's love and salvation. When we grasp the wonder of God's grace, that we're saved by grace alone. We are surely filled with love and gratitude to the Lord for what he's done for us. Why did the Lord die for us? Why should he save us? Why should we be chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? This is amazing. We're also filled with gratitude and love to a Savior who gave himself for us. This is the only motivation for holy living, is gratitude. I know there's God's commandments, things we need to do, but we won't do them unless we do it out of love and gratitude to the Lord for his salvation. Occasionally in church history, there have been some who've taught that justification, salvation, is only through the work of Christ. It doesn't involve our works doesn't need our works. Therefore, our works are not important. 
So you can live as you please, as long as you're trusting in Christ. That's what we call antinomianism. Nomos is the law, so it's against the law, contrary to God's uh, law. That's a false and dangerous teaching. Can we truly spend time contemplating Christ's work on the cross and then go out and sin against him and break his commandments? Uh, that won't work, will it? You can't do that. If you're meditating on Christ's redeeming work, uh, you'll never go out and sin. John says we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. We don't do good to satisfy God's commandments and therefore prepare ourselves for heaven. We do good to show our gratitude to him who planned our salvation who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world and sent his Son to be our Redeemer. And of course, we show our love to our Saviour, our gratitude to Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. We need to focus on the cross. The writer of the Hebrews speaks of those who never get beyond, we might say, the ABCs of the Christian faith. And he's sort of saying there are some elementary truths. You need to go beyond, need to mature, need to leave some things behind. But one thing you never leave behind is the teaching of the cross. We need that daily, the reminder of the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ, how important uh, that is. I chose that hymn, I think it's just such a beautiful hymn, Isaac Watts' hymn, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Must never move away from the cross. We must never get weary of considering the cross. We never hear too much of the cross. I remember going to a meeting in, uh, in England, in you know, Yorkshire, and a uh, wonderful uh, preacher, wonderful evangelistic message, exalting Christ at his death. And I spoke to a, a lady that had left our church because she had opportunity to serve the Lord elsewhere. Asked what some of the people thought in that. They said, oh, they were saying there was too much of the cross in the message. Too much of the cross. I thought, how dreadful. How, how can we have too much of the cross? These are supposedly evangelical believers. Too much of the cross. No, never too much of the cross. The more we focus on a crucified saviour, the more we shall want to please him. Supposing we're tempted to, to sin, to take a course contrary to the will of God. Maybe you're offered a, a, a really good job. Salary is just superb. But you know if you take that job, it will involve some dishonest things. Maybe dishonest over finances, whatever it is. Uh, could you read about the crucifixion? Could you consider the sufferings of Christ on the cross and then go ahead with that? Surely not. Uh, as we 
focus on the cross, surely it will keep us from sin. I think if we're honest, we all sin, we know that. Um, but do we sin as we meditate upon the cross? Surely that's impossible for us. Uh, we need to take time to read of the death of the Lamb of God for sinners. Every day we need to remind ourselves of Golgotha, of the awful nature of sin and of the cost to our Saviour of our redemption. We should hate sin. The psalmist exhorts us that, doesn't it? Hate sin, you righteous, hate sin. Uh, we should be careful with our hatred, but one thing we should always hate is our sin. Uh, we loathe it because it dishonors God. So we do good out of gratitude for God's love and salvation. But secondly, we also do good to demonstrate the genuineness of our salvation. When someone makes a profession of faith, profession of salvation, how do we know if they're genuine? Well, we want to encourage them, uh, but we're going to watch them. We're not going to say to them, well, you've made a profession of faith, uh, I hope it's going to be genuine, I'm going to be watching you to see if it's genuine. Yeah. Of course, you encourage them, point them to the promises of God, encourage them to meet with God's people, to engage in prayer and reading of the word. Uh, but we do watch them. And we need to watch them lovingly, uh, tactfully. We know that not all professions are genuine. There was a Judas among the apostles. There was an Ananias and Sapphira in the early church. There was a Demas among Paul's fellow laborers. I remember soon after I was converted, there was a young fellow in our barrack room. Took along to a, a, a meeting and uh, he seemed to be deeply moved, made a profession of faith. Seemed truly uh, genuine, wonderful transformation. And uh, just after that, I had to go off and up to the north of Malaya on an arms escort, and I was a bit concerned. How's this? How is he going to stand? Well, when I came back, uh, everyone was talking about him. He was witnessing. He was giving out tracts. I thought, well, this is marvelous. And he kept that up for uh, I don't know six weeks. Then he turned his back on it. He wanted to be a professional gambler, and he felt that his uh, faith wouldn't. Uh, uh, justify uh, his uh, job, wouldn't justify his profession of faith, and so he turned back and no further interest. And I'm sure we all know people like that. It's, it breaks your heart when you see that, but uh, there are those. So the way we go on is important. And we do need to assess uh, people. The result of a true work of grace is a life of holiness. We're not saved by good works, but we're not saved without them. Reformers used to have a saying, uh, saying we're safe, saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is not alone. That is, it's always accompanied by good works, by uh, godliness. The works are not the cause of our salvation, they are the evidence of it. But be sure, holiness and good works are not optional. Again, the writer to the Hebrews says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Someone that professes and lives the way they always have, 
they're not true believers. Those who claim to be Christian but walk in sin are liars. Some very solemn words of John. First John 3, 4. He says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you, because some can deceive you. Saying, oh yeah, that's all right, you can carry on in sin, as long as your sins are, uh, are forgiven. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Now John is not saying we must be perfect. In chapter 2 he says, I'm writing these things that you don't sin, but there's a but. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. So while John is saying holiness, perfection is our goal, we'll always fall short, we'll always fail. What he is saying is we must not practice sin. We must not continue in a pathway of sin, deliberately carrying out sinful uh, actions and lives. You can distinguish, says John, a true Christian from a hypocrite by this. You can tell. You may not tell in five minutes, but if you spend time with someone, you'll see whether or not their faith is genuine. Get to know a person well, and uh, you can tell. I know we all have bad days, periods of time when we seem to be cold in heart, we seem to backslid, we get away uh, from the Lord, but... If we're genuine believers, we're brought back to the Lord. We persevere. And that perseverance is important. There are a number of if verses in the the New Testament. There are two in one chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews 3.6 Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. In verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Perseverance is a mark of a true believer. And by God's grace, we do, we will persevere. Yes, we stumble. We may slip back uh, a little while, but by God's grace, we keep going, we persevere. We'll be there at the end. Uh, So thank God uh, for that. Perseverance is necessary. It's by grace. It's by faith. So we do good by God's grace. We do those things that are pleasing to him. So we see how appropriately these two statements come together. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Believe. Carry out good works. So in conclusion, I ask you. I ask you here. The children, 
some of those listening, uh, are you trusting in the Lord? Not in your good works, not in your religious activities, but in the finished work of the cross. Do you live your life by faith, day by day, hour by hour? And do you, out of gratitude to the Lord, perform good works to please him who laid down his life for you? Are you doing good to demonstrate the reality of faith? Do people know that we're Christians? If we profess, people will watch us, especially if we're, say, in a job and we profess uh, conversion, we tell others about it, they'll be watching carefully. So it's important that we live godly, consistent lives before our workmates, before our neighbours, sometimes before our families. Uh, that is vitally important. People want to see if our faith makes a difference in the way we live. May God grant us the grace to examine ourselves, to see whether we're in the faith. If we are in the faith, we see the positive evidence of that, rejoice, continue in faith, continue seeking to serve the Lord and obey him out of love and gratitude. And if that examination brings us to the conclusion, no, we're not in the faith, we're not true believers, then uh, we need to take steps. We've got business to take care of. We need to come to Christ, repent, trust in the Saviour, uh, and then begin that life of faith. May God grant to all of us lives of faith, showing our love and gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Father, what a marvellous thing that the Son of God would leave the glory of heaven, come into this earth as a true man, live amongst men, face increasing opposition, and eventually be put to death upon the cross. Father, how marvellous that God Almighty should take uh, that route, but we believe it is so, and we pray, Father, as we understand the uh, nature of the cross, the awfulness of the cross, and yet the wonder of the redemption that was purchased there, that we would truly follow our Saviour, show our love to him, our gratitude to him, live lives of holiness as a testimony before others, above all, live in a way that will bring glory to your name. Hear us, we pray, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.